Welcome to Bible Study. This is Nick Krita, your host. I'm very happy to be with you again today and uh, thank you for tuning in with us. Today, uh, again, a special message from uh, Revelation and uh, we are uh, going to look to quite a few uh, different things today, but uh, I will encourage you to grab the Bible if you have one around, if you are not driving, and uh, open the, the Bible into the book of Revelation to be with us today. I would like to just briefly introduce our panel today, and I will start with Kim, because he is with us for the first time today. And Kim, thank you for coming with us. Welcome to this program. Thanks, Nick. It's a pleasure to be here. And Lija, thank you for joining us also. Yes, thank you very much. I feel very privileged to be here today. It's our facilitator, Len. Thank you very much for putting together this study again. Hello, listeners. We're so glad you've joined us today. Last week, we shared with you about the opening of the first six of the seven seals enclosing the book the Father, God the Father, held in his hand. That book, the scroll, was and is about God's people and what happens to them. We showed you how each seal was like opening a book of prophecy with special phases about the church, commencing with the newly formed apostolic church. The sixth seal presented the second coming of Jesus. Those seals parallel the experience of God's church as described in Revelation 2 and 3 in the vision about the seven churches. Today's study is an interlude before revealing what happens when the seventh seal is opened. And as Nick was saying, it would be a good idea for you to have your Bibles open to Revelation chapter 7 as we go through this study entitled The Sealed People of God, which would sometimes be known as the 144,000. Now, listeners, I invite you to close your eyes and bow your heads with me in prayer. Father in heaven, you have given us a revelation of Jesus Christ in the book, Revelation. And some things, while we may not understand them completely, certainly tell us about what's happened with the bride of Christ, the church, throughout the years. And today we look at some very interesting things about your people, the people who will be saved, the people who will spend eternity in your presence. We pray that the Holy Spirit might lead us as presenters in this study and also lead you, the listeners, as well. These things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So we're going to start at the beginning of Revelation chapter 7. Kim, would you read Revelation 7 verse 1, please? And after these things, I saw four angels standing on the four corners of the earth, holding the four winds of the earth, that the wind should not blow on the earth, nor on the sea, nor on any tree. Okay, well, what are these four angels? What do they represent? One of the greatest things about the books of Daniel and Revelation is that they fit like a hand and a glove. And we're left in no doubt at all on what symbols mean in prophecy. 
And according to uh, according to the Bible, uh, wind represents uh, the destructive forces blowing upon the earth, you might say, upon which God executes uh, judgment upon the wicked. And you'll find that in Jeremiah chapter 23, verse 19 and 20, and Daniel chapter 7, verse 2. So really, the these four winds, these destructive forces are being held back. Okay. So these four angels, if you like, are God's appointed spirits, if you like, in that sense, to hold back the forces of evil. And where were they? The four corners of the earth. Well, how's that possible? I thought the earth was a geoid. Hmm. Geoid is uh, not quite a sphere. It's a spherical mainly, but it's a little bit pear-shaped. Standing on the four corners of the earth. In other words, the complete world being held in check because at certain time the forces of evil are going to be let loose and there'll be major destruction on the world. Lydia, would you read chapter 7, the same chapter, verse 2? Then I saw another angel coming up from the east, having the seal of the living God. He called out in a loud voice, to the four angels who had been given power to harm the land and the sea. And we have another uh, text in Matthew 24, 30. At the time the sign of the Son of Man will appear in the sky and all the nations of the earth will mourn. They will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of the sky with power and great glory. So this angel appears from the east and the angel is the angel of God of course and as the sun rises in the east also the message of the angel uh, comes from the east so it's like a daylight clear yes that's right well listeners I play golf early in the morning and the people I play with uh, are real early risers one used to be a baker, so he gets up very early. And the other one who has the surname of baker is also an early riser. And we see the sun rising. Now, what happens when the sun rises? Things are made clear. Things are made clear. And this other angel, uh, rising from the east, makes things clear. Nick, would you mind reading Revelation chapter 7, verse 3, and I'll ask you the question straight afterwards. Sure, Len. I'm reading from uh, New King James, which says, Do not harm the earth and the sea or the trees till we have sealed the servants of our God on their foreheads. So to whom was this new angel speaking? I mean, first of all, we talked about the the four angels, you know, which they uh, keep the the winds of the earth, the earth, and I believe that uh, this angel was re- speaking to them, keep holding on. Yeah. Yes. To keep things in check. Yes. Until when? Until the people of God, those who follow the Lamb, will be sealed on their foreheads. Now, if we. If we look back at verse 2, it talks about the earth and the sea. What's that talking about? In verse 2, I will read this again. Um, 
Then I saw another angel ascending from the east, having the seal of the living God, and he cried with a loud voice to the four angels to whom it was granted to harm the earth and the sea. So how can you harm the sea? How can you harm the earth? What's it mean? I mean, here, Len, here it's a very interesting uh, uh, example of, uh, as Kim just mentioned, about all the symbols, you know, and uh, we know that in the Bible, sea represents multitudes of people. And the same on, on earth, too. You know, earth, even if it's uh, not as many, will um, I think we are going to come to, to a Bible study in that uh, regard uh, of, um, you know, what that means, you know, all the beasts coming from the sea or uh, from the earth and so on. But in, in very simple, this represents us on this earth, multitudes of people. The peoples of the earth, the whole earth. I mean, if it was just the earth be different but it's the earth and the sea in other words referring to the whole earth mm. Lydia that text that Nick read until we ha have sealed the servants of God in their foreheads what what's this word sealed mean sealing it's a symbolic word and uh, had to do with people sealing a person could be a sign of ownership or a sign of protection. Also, sealing, it's a sign of authority. Uh, for example, a document is not signed or sealed until it is completed. It means made ready. And God's people are to be prepared and made ready. And when people are ready and God finds them ready, he seals them. It means they are his ownership and they will be protected. Okay, well... I uh, <clears throat> sometimes you might buy some products and um, when you open the package or whatever it is it's got a little certificate in there that this product is okay it's been checked yes and I think that this is probably refers largely to God's people there's a time of growth a time of preparation a time of sanctification as we might call it and when these people are ready, they are sealed. In other words, there won't be any going back to a former state of what they were in their uh, development, their Christian development. They will be in that state for the rest of time. And another thing which I believe is very significant is that uh, they will be sealed on their foreheads. Um, because we are going to come across, uh, you know, the, the mark of the beast, for example, which will be on the uh, arm, you know, and, and in the forehead. But in this case, it means again that God's people will have a clear understanding of his will. And that will be manifested to their uh, understanding and their beliefs in uh, in Jesus and uh, how how that uh, develops it's very important you know that uh, um, refers to our intellect yeah I was um, just about to comment on that because it's the frontal lobes of the brain where we actually do our thinking and where we agree with something on whether we think it's right or wrong and so it's on the forehead representing how we as how we um, agree to something or disagree with something in which we are sealed. Mm. Yes. So the foreheads represents the will, the uh, 
intellect it, it's all involved in that alright Kim well, we'll move on to the next verse Revelation chapter 7 and verse 4 and here there's a number given and I heard the number of them which were sealed and there were sealed a hundred and forty four thousand of all the tribes of the children of Israel ok so the number was 144,000 144,000 and then it says where this number was made up of what was it made up of Kim? it was composed of the 12 tribes of Israel alright the 12 tribes of Israel now Nick uh, could you explain a little bit about this Len um, this is a very sensitive uh, uh, topic with 144,000 but uh, if we look in the Bible the Bible it, it's giving us uh, a lot of information in this regard and we need to compare the Bible we don't need uh, we, we cannot just look at one verse in the Bible which refers to 144,000 and say okay this is a uh, just the sim- literal number of uh, people who are going to be saved in my understanding is that uh, as you pointed out refer to the 12 tribes of Israel but more interesting is that we are not looking back to the 12 tribes, to the sons of Jacob. Here we can see that um, uh, the 12 tribes mentioned in Revelation 7, even though they are a bit different than uh, the sons of uh, Jacob, this is a symbolic number because it refers to 12,000 from 12 tribes, which comes to 144,000. Now, what that means, in my opinion, means that people are going to be saved from all nations, tribes, and language, and whatever you want to say. There's not a a reference here just for the Jewish people. This is also for the Gentile and for the Jewish people, if you like. I'd just like to add to that, in that if we were to read this literally, only the Jewish people are going to be saved there's no hope for the rest of us so that adds another um, adds more weight to the idea also that the number is symbolic and and apart from that if only 144,000 were saved well the good news of the Bible becomes the bad news of the Bible Mm. as you would know listeners much of Revelation is symbolic and um, it's thought that this number is also symbolic the number 12 means um, that's really God's number and 12 times 12 is means it's really God's number and the word uh, I mean the number 1000 represents completeness now I know there's been quite a bit of debate about whether the number is literal or symbolic we'll deal with that a little bit soon but it seems at this stage the number is symbolic Lydia what did you want to say here I would like to say that in in, um, Revelation chapter 7 verse 4 says, Then I heard, so John just hears the number, Then I heard the number of those who were sealed, 144,000 from all the tribes of Israel. Uh, In regard to this uh, number, which is symbolic, and uh, he sees a group that no one can number, as it says, which is said also that it's a great multitude. This represents God's p- 
people throughout all the ages and uh, God's end time people. So a great multitude that no one can number. Now there are some groups who say, yes, yes, this is a definite number. It's not a symbolic number. The Jehovah Witnesses have the view that it's a definite number. And um, they say that people who are part of the 144,000 will know who they are. And when they have communion, it is only these people who take the communion bread and the communion wine. If we take these descriptions, that this is a literal number, they would be, as Kim already mentioned, Jewish males, but we need to go a little bit further, they'd be Jewish male virgins. Hmm. And that would mean that, say, the Apostle Peter, who was not a virgin, he was married, uh, could not be part of this number. It would say that Mary, the mother of Christ, could not be a part of this number because she was a female. And it could, it would also mean that the founder of the Jehovah Witness movement, Charles Taze Russell, would also not be part of that number because he wasn't a Jew. And then we have another group who maintain that they are part of the 144,000. They're called the British Israelites, sometimes known as the Worldwide Church of God, and other people would say, yes, this is the Armstrong movement. They say that the white British alone fulfill the prophecies of the Israelites as listed in the Old Testament in relation to this. They say that while the Jews are lineal descendants of the tribe of Judah, that the other tribes of Israel are not Jewish, but the white British are. They also maintain that the ten lost tribes of Israel never returned to Israel, but they've, I'm cutting things a bit short here, but they eventually moved to Britain. They also maintain that uh, the British monarchy, that's our current queen, descends from King David. And so there are these views which appears do not hold up when we look at the various aspects of these people who make up the 144,000. Kim, the Israelites were God's Old Testament people consisting of 12 tribes. Now, if you look through Revelation chapter 7, verses 5 to 8, these 12 tribes there, uh, what are the names of the 12 tribes as listed in Revelation? Well, as listed in Revelation, which differs to what the 12 tribes originally were, uh, the names are Judah, Reuben, Gad, Asher, Naphtali, Manasseh, Simeon, Levi, Issachar, Zebulun, Joseph and Benjamin. Okay, now Nick, if you go back and check from the Old Testament, from Genesis 35, Numbers chapter 1, Deuteronomy 27, 1 Chronicles 2, you will notice there are differences, as Kim has just pointed out. First of all, Judah was not the firstborn from the 12 sons of Jacob. Uh, but here in Revelation, Judah is mentioned uh, at the top of the list. Also in uh, Old Testament, uh, Joseph is not included. I mean, his two sons, yes, Ephraim and Manasseh, uh, 
uh, are part of those 12 tribes. But uh, we can see here in Revelation that uh, Joseph is included and also another tribe, Levi, it's included. Within the Old Testament, they were not part of the 12 tribes. So there seems to be a little bit of contention here, or contention is perhaps the wrong word. There's a difference when it talks about the 12 tribes and there are other tribes missing. I would like to suggest to you listeners that it's more plausible to regard the 12 tribes as listed here as symbolic. And I know, Kim, you have something to say about this with regard to the meaning of the names of the 12 tribes. Yeah, I, I firmly believe that um, when we when we look at uh, the, the 144,000 being either literal or symbolic, we're actually losing the meaning of why we're given these names. Now, in Hebrew, a name meant something, sometimes uh, just a word or, or often a phrase. And these 144,000, these 12 tribes of Israel representing all of mankind, not only uh, portray uh, the different characteristics of those who will comprise this 144,000, this symbolic number of people, this special people who go through this time of trouble such as there never was, as described in Daniel chapter 12, verses 1 to 3. But it actually forms several sentences. And we find this parallel between Jacob in the Old Testament and the struggle he had with the angel of the Lord. And he said, look, I will not let go of you unless you bless me. And we find that these people, with great wrestlings, they have wrestled against their sister churches, you might say. And they don't let go until the Lord blesses them. Actually, the list of the tribes in Revelation chapter 7, it's not historical, but spiritual. The absence of Dan and Ephraim from the list suggests that the unfaithfulness of these two tribes will have no place among God's sealed people because these two tribes uh, were apostate and idolatrous. Also, the church in New Testament is referred to as the 12 tribes of Israel. We can read this in James chapter 1 verse 1. These 12 tribes in Revelation 7 stands for the entire people of God who endure to the end both Jews and Gentiles. Let's pick up on uh, on this one, just what Lydia just read. Interesting uh, that um, Lydia mentioned about that those two tribes which were cut off from the list, they were representing the apostate, the unfaithful. And if we compare with the other two tribes which were included, like um, Joseph and Levi, Joseph was a faithful man. Very interesting. And Levi represented the law of God because they were serving in the temple. And we are going to see that in Revelation, we are going to learn that those people who keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus, those are the ones who will be saved and have their um, seal, you know, on their forehead. Very interesting uh, um, comparison here with, uh, with the tribes which were included in the, this list in Revelation. Yes, that's good, Nick. Now, there's another issue about the 12,000 people from each tribe. 
to exactly make up that number through the roughly 3,000 years while the uh, Israelites existed as a people seems a little bit strange because some of the tribes were big and other tribes are very small. And I believe that this, therefore, is another pointer to suggest that the number and the tribes is symbolic rather than literal. I'd also make, would like to make the point that uh, out of the 12 tribes of Israel, there's only about uh, two tribes which, which uh, Jews living today can trace their roots back to. The other 10 tribes have been lost to history. So this also suggests uh, that uh, these 12 tribes which are listed here have specific characteristics which will be found in, in God's people who, who will be sealed. Yes, that's good. Ledger, would you read Revelation chapter 7, verses 9 and 10? Now, I know you've alluded this to this before, but let's hear it from the Word of God. After this I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count, from every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and in front of the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands. And they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. We observe here that John, first of all in chapter 4, he heard the angel speaking, but now he is having a vision in verse 9. So in this vision, he sees a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people and language standing before the throne and in front of the Lamb. And they were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands. A great multitude from all nations, white robes. They were wearing white robes. And so what do those white robes mm. and the palm branches signify, Legion? Yes, the white robes. This is beautiful. White, it's a symbol of purity, yes. It's a symbol of victory. Actually, the, because they were covered with white robes, it means they were covered with Christ's robe of righteousness and uh, uh, they were holding uh, palm branches in their hands and they are hailing Jesus as a king so it's a symbol of victory it's it's sharing Jesus victory yeah mm. yeah now mm. Kim what was this large group of people clothed in white robes uh, waving palm branches, we must understand this symbolically. What were they shouting? That's in Revelation 7.10. Would you read that, please? Well, this multitude, um, much like when when uh, Christ was uh, riding triumphant on, on the donkey uh, shortly before he was crucified, and they were shouting, Salvation to our God, which sits upon the throne and unto the Lamb. Salvation. Salvation. Salvation to? Our God. Or salvation from? Hmm. 
That's both. a very good question. B- because it's uh, it's interesting that uh, we'll learn that the Bible says that these people come out of the tribulation and we are saved from, if you like, and saved to. Saved to Jesus Christ, you know, to be uh, with Jesus forever. Yeah. I think the Amplified text also brings this, this out very clearly. And it says, our salvation is due to our God. Yes. Now, I was alluding to this. Does God need saving salvation to God? Well, salvation is ascribed to God because God provides salvation. So, therefore, you can say salvation to God and also salvation from God. But interesting also, just to uh, another thing, is mentioned in the Bible that uh, we are called also the first fruits. You know, I mean, when God fulfilled the plan of salvation at the cross, he was not only doing his job, but he was um, grateful, how to say that in, in these four words we can use today, um, that he could see the result of his ministry. It will be the, the first fruits, you know, the, uh, which will be with uh, him in heaven. Well, the, uh, the council of peace existed between the Father and Son from, e- from eternity. And the plan of salvation existed from eternity because they knew that that man would fall into sin, and so a way of escape was was provided for a man once he fell, and that was through our divine Saviour Jesus Christ. Mm. I have an NIV in front of me here, and the verse reads this way: "Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne, and to the Lamb." So the question really means, as we've already discussed, salvation to, because it belongs to, and salvation comes from. Nick, would you read Revelation chapter 7, verses 13, right through to 17? Sure, and I'm reading again from uh, New King James, starting with verse uh, 13. Then one of the elders answered, saying to me, Who are these? arrayed in white robes and where did they come from and I said to him sir you know so he said to me these are the ones who come out of the great tribulation and washed their robes and made their white in the blood of the lamb therefore there are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple and he who sits on the throne will dwell among them. They shall neither hunger anymore nor thirst anymore. The sun shall not strike them nor any heat, for the Lamb who is in the midst of the throne will shepherd them and lead them to the living foundation of waters. Okay. So what sort of tribulation what sort of tribulation were these people from? And they said also the last sentence of the verse 17, it says, And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. So what sort of tribulation were they from? Whatever we're experiencing even today here, Len. And I believe uh, just um, mentioning uh, yesterday I was talking to somebody where I was doing a bit of work and he said that he, 
he went and saw the priest and uh, everyone was concerned because uh, something is going on in this world and when people start even people who are not believing you know active believers to say so they um, they uh, understand that something is going on now whatever is going on that will bring persecution that will bring hardship that will bring uh, lots of challenges for God's people but God's people will stay strong because of their faith in Jesus and the result will be they will be victorious and that's what the text refers to they came out of the great tribulation and persecution I would like to suggest to you that social pressure is a very powerful motivator I once got caught up in a crowd when um, I went to a football match and I think this was only once I ever went to a major football match and the crowd was shouting loud and rude things to the umpire and you know what? I opened my mouth and I said something like that too and I thought, what are you doing? What are you saying? So social pressure is a very important uh, tribulation. Absolutely. And I would also like to suggest to you that temptation mm. is a very powerful uh, thing which we would call, I would call, a tribulation. Struggles with bad habits and so on. Mm -hmm. Kim, you've got something to share with us here. Yeah, look, I'm going to read uh, because this I think this is very important. It actually points out quite clearly who these people are and the experience they have. And uh, it follows, John sees a great multitude which no one could number who came out of the great tribulation and washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. That's from, of course, Revelation chapter 7, verse 14. That is, they are a special group of people who, despite whatever tribulation they went through, have stayed faithful to Jesus, a faithfulness symbolized by their being covered in the robes of his perfect righteousness, which, of course, is the white robes which they're wearing. The word tribulation is used very frequently in the Bible to refer to the things that believers suffer for their faith. And you'll find this, for example, in Exodus chapter 4, verse 31, and Psalm verse 9 and 9, and Matthew chapter 24, verse 9, for instance. Therefore, although some Adventist interpreters view this group as another representation of the 144,000, we could understand the great multitude as a reference to all the redeemed who have suffered for their faith down through the ages. And there were millions of people persecuted during the Inquisition for their faith, for example. Here, too, in John's description of the great multitude, which no one could number, we see, as we do in all the Bible, the great theme of salvation by grace and by grace alone. The only claim of the redeemed to salvation, to eternal life, to the new heavens and the new earth, is the righteousness of Christ which is given to them by grace. And I must stress, it's not from what they've done, but from whom they believe in. Mm. Yeah. Okay, so you read there that um, there are two possibilities about this great multitude. It may include the group that we have um, been discussing up till now, the 144,000, or 144,000 may be a special group. 
Now, if we go across to Revelation 14, and I like this because I'm a bit of a maths person, so we get the first introduction to the 144,000 in Revelation 7, then we go to double that, where we go to Revelation chapter 14. Nick, would you read Revelation 14, verses 1 through to 5? Sure. Then I look, and behold, a lamb standing on the Mount Zion, and with him 144,000, having his father's name written on their foreheads. And I heard a voice from heaven like the voice of many waters, and like the voice of loud thunder. And I heard the sound of harpists playing their harps. They sang as it were a new song before the throne, before the four living creatures and the elders, and no one could learn that song except the 144,000 who were redeemed from the earth. These are the ones who were not defiled with women, for they were virgins. These are the ones who follow the Lamb wherever he goes. These were the redeemed from among men, being first fruits of God and to the Lamb. So, Nick, what's the first characteristic mentioned about this group of people here identified as the 144,000? Leonard, right from uh, the end of verse uh, 1 and towards verse 2, it's saying that uh, this... uh, uh, 144,000 uh, they have written on their uh, forehead the name of their father that's I believe is one of the first characteristics so what does that mean to have the name of the father and of the son written on their foreheads earlier we talked about that uh, what the forehead represents you know uh, in terms of uh, uh, all the intellect and the decisions making and so on First of all, they were the one who follow what the Father was expecting them to do, which means later on we see that they kept the law of God, they have the testimony of Jesus. We'll see that later on in uh, Revelation um, 14, verse 12. Yeah, I, I believe they were the one who doing the will of God. It means belonging. They belong to God. Yeah. Now, <clears throat> I'm an embroiderer. Yeah. And I do embroidery for all sorts of businesses and say somebody belongs to a kind of a business and they want their uh, logo on their shirt or on their jacket, whatever it is. When they come along to do a job for somebody, people can say, ah, that's, this is the person that I want to see. Mm. And this, I think, is sort of symbolic of the fact that God's people Uh, show through their actions, their words, their lives that they belong to God. In other words, the centre of their life, the centre of their thoughts is the Father and the Son, what God has done for them. I believe that it really does show with Christians that they belong to God. I think you could see it. Maybe sometimes you'd be wrong, but anyhow. Now, Ledger, 
Uh, Nick's kind of stolen your thunder here. What identifiers are there of who God's people are? Uh, in chapter in Revelation chapter 14 verse 12 it says those who obey God's commandments and remain faithful to Jesus yeah they keep the commandments of God and have the faith of Jesus so they are obedient people they recognize that they are only saved through the merits of Jesus Christ and accepting that and also uh, here just to mention that um, in other parts of the Bible it says uh, there are many people who will come and uh, say to Jesus but Lord Lord heaven we done this and that in your name casting out demons healings and all sorts of things and interesting that Jesus will say depart from me I never knew you why because you worked lawlessness yeah. is that a very interesting thing that God's people those people who have the name of God written on their foreheads they are the ones who keep the commandments of God and understand and um, accept the, the merits of Jesus on their behalf now it talks about a singing a new song and yeah. um, you know I know a song which um, well, I suppose you'd say it's a hymn, the chorus of which goes like this. And I think it relates to this particular experience, what John saw in vision. The chorus goes, Holy, holy is what the angels sing, and I expect to help them make the courts of heaven ring. But when I sing Redemption's story, they will fold their wings for angels never felt the joys that our salvation brings. Uh, I think this will be a song of salvation, which the angels can't really sing. It's a new song to them, yeah. anyhow. All right, now, there were several characteristics mentioned there. Nick, hmm. what's the second one? Yeah, second one, uh, it's very interesting that mentioned that they were virgins, what that means. It means that they they were not um, compromising, if you like. They were not doing the the wrong things in terms of being involved with other teachings, if you like. And we know. I heard about some while ago about this uh, this expression that they are the people who were not bringing in their life experience, spiritual life experience, uh, the past or their um, teachings, which. Uh, they experienced before in their churches, for example, you know, but they were following Jesus and keeping uh, faithful to, to Jesus. And sometimes we are uh, in this um, position of making compromises, thinking that if we are more accepting certain teachings, more people will be able to come to know God. But we are called here to stand for the truth of the Lord. Yeah. And then, uh, not to compromise in any aspect, but just stay strong. As a man, it's faithful to his wife, not even thinking that the other one is better in a way or the other. All right. Well, you know, there are many voices calling. There are different philosophies, different worldviews, and so on. But I believe this is that these people do not compromise, as Nick has said, they do not um, belong to these other points of view. Uh, 
but purely on the truth of God as it's presented in God's word. Kim, what is the third characteristic in those verses Nick read? They uh, don't defile themselves with women. So what's that mean? Well, again, if we were to take this literally, we would be saying that uh, the 144,000 are 144,000 Jewish males who are virgins and have not, uh, and the Bible says, have not defiled themselves with women. Now, obviously, this is not going to be literal. This is symbolic. So what does a virgin mean in the Bible? What does a harlot mean in the Bible? What is the very strong language we have in Revelation 14 and 17, for instance, where we're talking about the harlot which sits upon the beast? We find very uh, clearly in the Bible a pure church is described as a virgin, whereas a corrupt church is described as a harlot. So these people who have not defiled themselves with women in other words, they have not been corrupted by false teachings. All right, well, that's, um, you've expanded on what we were previously talking about, but actually the third characteristic was that they kept themselves pure. Hmm. Now, if somebody keeps themselves pure, they keep themselves pure from something and to something. Can anybody just explain this? Faithful to or pure to or pure from? Yes, being faithful to Christ and uh, it means avoiding idolatry. Yes. Correct? And and false doctrines and uh, various humanistic philosophies and so on. Yeah. Lydia, would you mind reading Second Peter verse uh, chapter three, verse fourteen? And I'll ask you a question straight afterwards. So then, dear friends, since you are looking forward to this, make every effort to be found spotless, blameless, and at peace with Him. Now, I've heard some people say, "Well, when you accept Christ, He does it all." My question is for you, Ledger, and for the listeners, is it necessary to strive for holiness or does God do it all for you? I think I have to do on my part to avoid sinning, not in my power, but asking for uh, the power of Jesus every moment because I can see when I'm coming towards the sin towards the temptation and not to let myself going in but stop ask God for power and strength to do it ask the Holy Spirit to empower me and I have to do everything in my human power but covered with with uh, uh, Jesus grace yes I believe this has got to do with decisions you know our lives are Mm -hmm. full of decisions when you don't make a decision you've actually made a decision and just because we're comparing this with with a marriage how that will sound if uh, in a marriage we'll say um, to our spouse that you know 
we love you, you know, we believe in you, I, you know, I'm with all my heart to you, but because I'm a sinful man, I cannot help but just, you know, uh, have an extra conjugal relationship. Would that be an excuse uh, for my relationship? Or we need to, while we enter into this uh, marriage, almost I was going to say agreement, <laughs> but it is in a form of, of the other, then we are going to work towards that, to keep ourselves uh, pure and to keep ourselves faithful and to do everything what takes to honor that relationship. Is that not the case with uh, our uh, relationship with God? We are not keeping the law. We are not doing all these things to be saved. But because we are saved through the blood of Jesus Christ, to His grace, we are going to keep the commandments. We are going to be faithful to this uh, relationship. Uh, in the closing days of this world history, the 144,000 will reflect the character of Christ. Their salvation will, will reflect what Christ has done for them and in them rather than their own holiness and works. The 144,000 have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. It says in Revelation 7.14 and as such are found spotless and blameless before, the God, before God. Also, the identity of the 144,000, it's a hotly debate issue. What seems evident in Revelation is that the 144,000 are the last generation of God's people in the closing days of this earth history. We know that they uh, will uh, go through the time of trouble and be protected from the seven last plagues and that their loyalty will be tested like no generation in the past. All right, well, thank you for those two statements. Now, we're just about to wrap this study up today, and I want to ask you this question, Nick. Is the 144,000 an exact number of the redeemed? What do you think? Len, it's interesting uh, because we were talking quite a bit uh, today about the 144,000 and uh, it's not a very easy answer to this question. The reason I'm saying that, I think we are not called to, to be so bold on if this is a literal number or a symbolic number. What we are need to, underst we're called to, to understand is the characteristics of these people, what they are supposed to look like. And in my opinion from this study I learned that these people are faithful, these people are uh, going through some difficult period of time, and it may very well refer to the end people, just before the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, who are going to, uh, to the hardship and the tribulation and for the wrath of the enemy, you know, which is pouring uh, uh, upon upon uh, God's people. Yeah, um, look, to be honest, I may not be that bold today to say that this is symbolic or it's literal. What I'm focusing more, if, if I can learn from the description uh, of these people, how they, they are. Kim, 
Would you say that uh, the 144,000 is a special group among the other, the great multitude group? Well, I think after having looked at um, the 144,000 with their characteristics and the time they live in, um, it's very likely that this group are a group of people who live at the very end of time who are faithful to God and keep his commandments. Of course, there are some who say, well, I want to be part of the 144,000. Well, we don't know when Jesus is coming. It looks like it's pretty soon from the way things are going. But I want to throw out a challenge to you all and ask you, what is your spiritual goal? I want to tell you what mine is. I want to be one of the redeemed, no matter what, and to be in the presence of the Lord through eternity. And I hope that's your goal too. Thank you for joining us today. And Kim, would you mind closing with prayer, please? Dear Father, thank you for all of these people out there who are listening to this to this Bible study today on the 144,000 and the redeemed. And Father, I would just like to, to say that I hope it's clear in the minds of, of all who are listening that the goal is to be one of those who are redeemed. And it doesn't really matter if they're in the 144,000 or not. But the main thing is to be able to, to tell people about how much Jesus loves them and what he's done for them. And also, Father, that they may find a place in the kingdom through the love of God, is my prayer. Amen. Mm. Amen. Thank you, uh, Kim, and thank you, panel, for um, this uh, great Bible study. I know that we were not able to uh, cover uh, all the aspects in this um, period of time, but we're inviting you to come along and learn more from the Bible. And I will invite you to come every Saturday morning to search for your nearest Seventh-day Adventist church in your area. And there will be a, a time when we will open the Bible and we'll search in the Bible to find the truth and to know how to be prepared, how to be able to follow God in these uh, uh, days we live in. Most of our churches uh, start in the morning uh, around uh, 9.30 or 10 o'clock with the Bible study and uh, follow up with the main service. But if you like to be part of one of these uh, discussions, yeah, you are invited to check us out. And as I said, uh, just search for your nearest uh, Seventh-day Adventist church uh, and um, we will be very happy to have you with us and uh, being able to look for ourselves in the Bible and take decisions for this um, special time we live in. Again, then don't uh, hesitate to call us if you have any questions um, and you have the numbers uh, which we provide during the program, but also you can visit us on, uh, on the website. Until then, may God bless you and have a wonderful walk with Jesus.